This is Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. We bring you the latest and best strategies, tactics, and information to help employers boost their bottom lines by investing in healthy and engaged workforces that deliver real ROI. Welcome to today's program. I'm Stephen Van Yoder. And I'm Jim Purcell. And we're the co-founders of the Returns on Wellbeing Institute. Medical debt is an American crisis. 41% of working-age Americans now struggle to pay off medical debts, and two-thirds of personal bankruptcies cite medical debt as a key factor. As more people lose health care coverage during the pandemic or struggle with high insurance deductibles, medical debt is a primary factor in adding to employee financial stress. Here to discuss this today is Allison Sesso, the American Director of RIP Medical Debt, a nonprofit organization dedicated to removing the burden of medical debt for individuals and families and veterans across America. Founded in 2014 by two former debt collectors, RIP Medical Debt has helped over 2 million people abolish more than 3 billion of oppressive medical debt. Allison will discuss the growth of medical debt in America and strategies that employers can take to help employees avoid or tackle medical debt. Allison, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the problem itself. How big is this medical debt problem and is it growing? Where does this uh, sit right now in America? Um, unfortunately, it is a tr- huge problem. And um, in fact, it's to the tune of $1 trillion. Um, of medical debt that exists, and it's a uniquely American problem. Uh, Other countries do not have this problem because they do not have the same for-profit healthcare system and the same structures that we do. Um, But yes, it's to the tune of a trillion dollars, and unfortunately, it is absolutely growing, and we really do need to do something about that reality. Um, The pandemic has only worsened that situation because of the fact that so many people have lost their jobs and therefore their um, employer-sponsored insurance. And, of course, it's, a, it's, it's at a time when people absolutely need access mm. to health care, given that this is a health care, you know, health care related uh, pandemic. Have you seen any, any hot spots, trouble areas, uh, age groups? Is there any, any, any trends in that direction, especially in the workforce that employers might need, need to be aware of? People who are more likely to need help and are, are, are you know, ill or, or need some kind of access to care, which tends to be based on age, right? The older you get, the more access, which is why I think our country, you know, has Medicare, right, to help with that. But I will tell you, even elderly people with Medicare still need access to um, have medical debt. Um, It does not fully cover everything. Um, It does result in medical debt for people. Um, But I would just say that, you know, it's almost like it's in terms of demographics, it's people who are poor, right? I mean, that's who would hurt the most. And it creates poverty for some people as well. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's, um, uh, you know, it it does, it's it's not necessarily age-based because anybody could be in an accident or get sick or, you know, suddenly end up unfortunately with cancer or some major terminal disease that they need a lot of health care and they may not have coverage. I will Mm -hmm. also say that it does disproportionately impact people of color like most things in American society. So fair enough to say uh, employees that are living paycheck to paycheck uh, and don't have 100% full uh, coverage at work. I mean, this could be no coverage or high deductibles, emergencies that could push an already stretched household budget over the to the breaking point. This is uh, one of the main reasons people go into bankruptcy is medical debt. 
I think it's at least a quarter of Americans couldn't handle a $600 emergency. Do, do health care providers, uh, you know, the where medical debt is incurred, do they tend to pursue uh, employees that would have this? Do they garnish wages, put liens on homes? It really depends on the on the provider. Some, you know, are are relieving debts or they're negotiating down debts for people. You know, others um, have policies where they go after the people. And it depends on the state and the local rules and laws, too. Some places, they're not allowed to go after wages. Some places encourage them to and support them. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on where you, what the situation is and actually the, the local laws and rules um, that, are, that are implemented. We've seen people's wages are garnished, you know, or even if, they're, if that's not the case, there's harassment, um, you know, un- endless phone calls. It's an unfortunate reality of our American healthcare system. RIP is able to purchase bundled provider debt and use charitable donations to retire that debt. First of all, my bet is almost nobody realizes that hospitals and large physician groups take the debt that is owed to them by people who are having difficulty paying it, they bundle it, and they sell it out on this market. And eventually, you enter that market and purchase the bundle and then use charitable donations to retire it. So first of all, not all providers sell their medical debt. A, a portion of them do. Um, mm-hmm. We know that about, it's something between 15 and 30% of hospitals that, that we estimate sell actually sell their medical debt in the way that you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, now they sell it to the secondary market completely out of their hands. The people they sell it to, which are, which are you know debt buyers, whatever they can collect of that, they, they earn that money. So they pay a, a pretty small price because they're taking a risk in buying that debt. The value of each um, of each debt it, is determined based on the person's ability to pay. So a debt for somebody who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, like a hundred dollar debt of somebody that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, is going to be much more valuable than the debt of somebody a hundred, same hundred dollars that's owed by someone who makes twenty thousand dollars a year right. because the person making twenty thousand dollars a year is unlikely to pay mm-hmm. so they bundle all that debt together and the debt collector probably focuses on the person that makes the hundred thousand dollars first because they know that that's an easier lift and the, and they can make their money back on whatever the purchase price that they paid um they also know that for the twenty thousand dollars they probably you know they might try a couple of tactics but the likelihood that they're going to get you know anything out of that is low um, and so we, what we try to do at RIP is to say, hey, we think those are very valuable because to us, our mission is to abolish those debts for low-income people that are struggling. And so we'd like to take that debt off your hands. And um, and frankly, the debt buyers are like, great, because it's not really that valuable to us anyway. And mm-hmm. so it's been really actually a great partnership in that way in terms of our ability to buy the debt from the debt buyers um, and their willingness to give it to us and say, you know what? let's do the right thing by these people who can't pay. We'll focus on the people that are, um, you know, making, that have the ability to pay. Now you have to purchase it though. They don't just give it to you, right? There have been moments where we have um, gotten some donated. That tends to be older debt, like Mm -hmm. much older, like seven or more years old. It does still have a cost to it because it costs us money to to do the um, retirement. For example, we have to send letters out to people. It's not a very high cost, but it is a cost attached. We, we do generally use don- donations from, you know, people who are generous. Americans are very generous. We use that money to purchase this debt and retire it. Now, you told us right before the interview that you had gotten a big donation recently, right? Uh, we got a uh, $50 million donation, and it was from Mackenzie Scott, who 
um, you may know, gave away $4 billion, and it's really going to allow us to expand our model to purchase um, debt from hospitals directly, which is what we really want to do, and to really focus, I think, intently on communities and trying to retire full communities' debt. And we're really going to try to push out a model that allows us to do that. Over the last decade, employer-sponsored health insurance deductibles have increased uh, over 150%. How has that impacted medical debt? I think that what's happened is that insure, employers are increasingly uh, trying to lower their costs. They're looking for insurances that, sure. um, that, are, that are not hurting their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is that they end up buying uh, packages that are, have higher deductibles and push more costs onto individuals. I think one of the, the things about medical debt is that it, a lot of people think it's people that don't have insurance that are creating a lot of the medical debt, but that's mm-hmm. absolutely not the case. Right. It's, I mean, those people, of course. Right. But a lot of the people, it's because they're underinsured and because they can't meet their deductible. They, can't, they <sighs> sign up and they're like, okay. You know, and then the, the two, paying two thousand dollars is hard, and that's that's a, that's a regular deductible on most mm-hmm. insurances today. So what that we're is, finding is yep. coverage is getting worse, worse, and that's and that's in fairness to the employers, they're you know they're like I can't you know the the rates go up by by huge percentages, and so you know that um they have to try to find a middle ground, and that ends up pushing the cost onto the employees and creating real medical debt for those individuals. Part of my message as a former health insurer CEO is there are a lot of ways that you can help your bottom line. This is not one of them. That having significant deductibles hurts your employees, creates huge financial stress, and impacts their performance in the workplace in ways that cost you far more than the deductible helped. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head with, with saying this being underinsured is creating the medical debt that's causing the financial stress in the workplace. That's what you've seen over time? The average debt that we retire is $1,000. People can't afford to pay $1,000. That's a problem. What people do when they have high deductibles is they don't go to the doctor, and then they really get right. sick. Exactly. And then you are out of an employee for a long period of time. So you are only shooting yourself in the foot. And yep. in fairness to the individuals that, that are making those choices, I mean, it's a, it's a hard choice, right? I mean, we're seeing that sure. during COVID. People are not sure. going to the doctor, and then they're getting very sick and either dying or ending up needing a ventilator, which is very expensive. Right where we're at right now as a nation, you've got a lot of people that are uninsured and a lot that are underinsured or have very high deductibles, even though they do have health insurance. Uh, but they're facing surgery or they find themselves in the emergency room, and then the debt is incurred. What do you advise that person to do, just given the reality? The thing is, you can negotiate, and I don't think people realize that. Like, they really can negotiate with the hospitals, especially if they legitimate or low income. The hospitals know what they can look up what you make, right? They that, that that information is just like any creditor. Like, you know, that's actually how our model works. We use TransUnion data um, to to figure out who can who can qualify for our our program. You know, hospitals also have that information, as do debt collectors, et cetera. If you can pay it, you you should pay it. But you can also negotiate and. They can also spread the payment out over many years, right? Like you can do like a, you know, $20 a month plan, you know, for three years or something like that. So I think that that's also important. I promote people having an advocate with them. If you have a family member that you can, you know, you should really set this up in advance and sort of say, if I ever get sick, I'm going to be your advocate. You're going to be my advocate. Here's the information on my health insurance. Before I get care, 
can you just ask the doctors if they are in my network? Because otherwise I'm going to walk away out of here with a huge bill. It's an unfortunate reality of the American healthcare system, but I really advise people to do that. And then what happens when they don't negotiate, when they just, they take what they're given? Uh, does the bill just get noted as uh, the highest rack rate sort of bill? And then uh, that's what's uh, following them around for some time? Hospitals have charity care themselves, so they do have policies where they actually provide free care to people. You have to, you have to, sometimes you have to apply. Some hospitals, it happens automatically, but you do have to provide, you know, some information um, about, you know, yourself. And, and again, sometimes you have to actually accept, accept that. Um, but yeah, if, if you don't qualify for charity care, and again, charity care rules are, are all over the place. It depends on the hospital. Mm -hmm. You end up with a bill and the hospital ends up calling you and, and they oftentimes outsource the collection part of it. They may still own the title of the debt, but they'll outsource right. the collection of it. So to the person, it doesn't, you don't know the difference between who owns the title. You just know right. some third party is calling you constantly. When we bring this back to most of our audience who will be, a major portion will be HR people or people who are helping employees. Uh, I'm sure there are a list of things that they should communicate to employees about mm -hmm. medical debt. Any other uh, thoughts that you have that you would advise yes. HR people to communicate to their employees so that they come into this armed a little bit better? I would encourage every uh, employee, HR uh, department to actually spend the time to educate their employees and maybe incentivize them to take mm -hmm. the education on what their health insurance coverage actually is and isn't. Now, incentivize to actually take the time to do that. I think that would be, go a long way. Um, the other thing is they should have health savings accounts, and they should be mm -hmm. ideally, you know, incent incentivizing people, explaining what the value is of, of a health savings account, um, which allows you to, you know, use pre-tax dollars and to save those dollars for health care. Yeah. Um, I think that people need to be educated on that. I would encourage people to put in that. I would encourage employers to consider a matching uh, approach to that. A health savings account is a, a federally qualified program that allows you to use pre-tax dollars in a savings account that is owned by the employee that can be used to pay for qualified medical debt. Obviously, if there's a match by the employer, that's a cost. But even if there is no match, this is a significant help because uh, you don't have to spend it every year, do you? You can carry this over for year to year. Look, we all age. Eventually, you're going to need it, right? The reason why I encourage a match is because I do think that that does really make a difference for employees to, to see that. And, and mm -hmm. you also have to articulate and explain that to employees. I do think that if you have a high deductible plan, it's almost like an obligation that you, have, that you offer a match. You know, you've, you've saved money by having a high deductible plan for mm -hmm. your employees. So I, I personally think high deductibles are wrongheaded. Any thoughts you have there? The, the reality is our healthcare system is becoming more expensive, the, the, it's becoming more sophisticated, and with that comes cost. And so there's a reason why um, health insurance companies, you know, they're looking at their numbers very closely and saying, like, we, you know, we can't afford for people to just keep going. And so one way to protect them from the risk of, of having to pay out is for them to have high deductible plans. Now, I agree that uh, employers should be wary of, of those deductibles. And, and But I, again, that's why I think an HSA is one way of protecting the employee against that risk of the high deductible plan. Health insurance costs are only going up, um, and, the, and therefore, 
uh, insurers' costs are only going to go up. Employers are going to increasingly take them because they're looking at their bottom line. I think we need a more uh, national systemic approach here. But in the meantime, these are the things you can do as, right. as an employee and as an employer. Is there anything that we haven't asked you you think is important to mention here for employers or people that, uh, you know, take care of employees inside companies? Is there anything we didn't think to ask or you think should be emphasized? And then finally, um, how can people contribute to your organization? I would just say, you know, for individuals and employers that are thinking about this, really, I think the deductible and, and thinking really hard about the, the impact on that is, is important to repeat. I do think, you know, helping people not get sick, right? I think that that wellness programs and encouraging people to go to the gym and covering those costs, you know, et cetera, I think those things actually matter to people's overall health. I mean, you can't avoid 100% being sick, but things like that really do matter. And, and it is, I think, uh, helpful for employers to uh, to think about their employees in that way and encourage good behavior. And, and frankly, you know, encourage people to take time off, right, um, and, and, and not overstress them. A lot of Healthcare mm. issues come from stress, and a lot of that's generated from work. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, okay. And yeah, in terms of of, our, of RIP, uh, you can go to our website, um, ripmedicaldebt.org. Um, we would love to, you know, help uh, employers think about how to uh, relieve a debt for the communities that they're serving. Um, you know, we think that overall uh, medical debt in, being relieved in a community has ripple effects. Um, and we can target um, target our medical debt relief to specific communities. Um, mm. So that's that's important. So please feel free to reach out to us. I mean, we'd love to. Uh, even though we got a recently big donation, that that problem is of one of one trillion dollars right. of, of medical debt um, is significant. All right. Well, thank you very much, Allison. This is terrific. Yes, uh, thank we you. We enjoyed talking with you, and we hope people will listen. We hope they will contribute. You've been listening to Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. To learn more about our resources and programs that help employers make employee well-being a bottom-line business strategy, please visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com.